Is the Book of Mormon the Book of More Good, or is it the Book of Satan's Victory? We'll talk about that next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? We're back again to discuss different aspects of Mormonism, which bleeds right into what the polygamy groups believe. And with us again is Dorothy Catlin as our guest co-host, uh, filling in for Earl while he's unable to be with us. And again, uh, it's such a pleasure to have you here and to interact with you on these issues. Thanks. It's fun to be on this side of the camera for a change <laughs> instead of out there. On the other side, right. <laughs> well, it's good to have you here and thank you so much. Um, we recently received a request from a viewer suggesting that we discuss some of the contradictions in the Book of Mormon and other Mormon writings that they call inspired scripture. And we've done this in the past. We've done it before. But there's so many of them that we think we can do it again without being too repetitive. When Nelson took the leadership of the LDS Church, one of the first things he changed was the way everyone is supposed to refer to the name of their church. Don't call it the Mormon church anymore or the Mormons. He said, the devil has a victory whenever the word Mormon is used. He said this despite the fact the previous Mormon prophets have upheld the use of the name Mormon and proclaimed that it means more good. So that's our discussion. Gordon Hinckley said this, all of this places upon us of this church and this generation an incumbent and demanding responsibility to recognize that as we are spoken of as Mormons, we must so live that our example will enhance the perception that Mormon can mean in a very real way, more good. And so I leave with you the simple but profound thought, Mormon means more good. So how can more good be Satan's victory? I'm just stuck on the fact that saying Mormon every time means I'm saying you're more good than I am. Mm -hmm. I'm better than you. A, a Mormon is better than me. Mm -hmm. That's so arrogant. It's kind of their attitude, though. Yeah. It's kind of their attitude. And with the polygamists, it's even better because they're the cream of the Mormon crop. <laughs> <laughs> but years later, after their prophet said that, their other prophet said this. <laughs> Mormon Church President Russell M. Nelson said he wants people to stop using Mormon or LDS as substitutes for the full name of the religion, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Nelson said in a statement that the Lord has impressed upon my mind the importance of the name he has revealed for his church. The full name was given by revelation from God to founder Joseph Smith in 1838, according to the faith's beliefs. And that's from a Fox News website. So they were commenting mm -hmm. on that. Commenting on it, right. Mm -hmm. Now, he said using the word Mormon is a victory for Satan. So in the Book of Mormon, what is it? A victory for Satan? And if God truly did give a revelation for the church's name in 1838, why hasn't it been used faithful, <laughs> faithfully and constantly during the decades since? So, like almost 200 years. Yeah. They've been giving us <laughs> Satan a victory decades. all that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and which prophet do we believe anyway? Nelson or Hinckley? Which one's telling the truth? Now, they can't both be right, but they can both be wrong. Now, the Mormon fundamentalists do not see the LDS leaders as true prophets. Some of the polygamists do listen to their conference talks and some of their other sermons and talks, but they don't consider them as having spiritual authority. 
about all of Mormonism considers and uses the Book of Mormon as a sacred text, and most of them use the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price as well. So as our viewer requested, our focus is going to be what the uh, what Mormonism considers scriptures and the contradictions within them. We see the leaders contradicting each other. What does the Mormon scriptures do? Uh, and of course, uh, the, the LDS leaders and the Mormon fundamentalists are in sharp disagreement on very many of these important issues. And um, when we read and understand the Bible, we know that the Bible from cover to cover agrees with itself in, in all of the issues. Now, many people claim there are contradictions in the Bible. They've never checked them out for themselves. They just claim it. But when we practice due diligence and we discover that there aren't contradictions in the Bible at all, there's just different layers of information enhancing something um, rather than contradicting, contradicting it. And you can't say that Mormon scriptures agree with each other because their doctrines actually clash. A resource for our discussion is a pamphlet entitled Some Contradictions of Mormonism by Jack H. Williams, and he asks the question, is the Book of Mormon man's work or God's work? These are such interesting quotes. I, I'd like to read the whole pamphlet. On the title page of the Book of Mormon, we find the claim that it was written by way of commandment and also by the spirit of prophecy and of revelation, and even the interpretation thereof by the gift of God. Unbelievably, in the very next paragraph, we find the statement, and now if there are faults, they are the mistakes of men. So which, so which is, is it? It? <laughs> it can't be both. It's either by the spirit of prophecy and revelation or by the mistakes and errors of men. God doesn't make mistakes. And since he invented language and his grammar, he doesn't use bad grammar either. Mormonism claims we can't trust the Bible, but at least we have ancient manuscripts to test the accuracy of today's Bible and find that it is trustworthy. There are no ancient manuscripts of the Book of Mormon in which we can do that. More on the Book of Mormon's origin. It gets even worse after that. You cannot even go past verse 3 of the first book without finding a like problem. Instead of upholding the claim of prophecy and inspiration, we find the following statement in regard to the record contained in the Book of Mormon. I will make it with mine own hand, and I make it according to my knowledge. 1 Nephi 1.3 Again, in the same book, in chapter 19, we find Nephi told to make a record of his ability to do so, of his ability to do this, he says, Nevertheless, I do not write anything upon plates, save it be that I think it be sacred. And now, if I do err, even did they err of old. First <laughs> Nephi 19.6. So Joseph Smith is admitting... That this is the work of man, not of God. And there's mistakes here, They're, so just disregard them. That's right. He wrote that he thought was sacred, yeah. and God tells us his thoughts of man are useless, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So Joseph Smith erred. And notice that he says he wrote upon plates. Yet Joseph Smith and the LDS mm -hmm. Church just finally admitted that Smith produced the Book of Mormon from a rock in the hat, not from plates. Now, we continue on this topic, <laughs> quoting admitted imperfections. So this is from Ether 5.1. And now I, Moroni, have written the words which were commanded me according to my memory. And Mormon 8.12 says, And whoso receiveth this record and shall not condemn it because of the imperfections which are in it, so he's which writing, is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's writing from memory. 
And in claiming there's imperfections in it, God doesn't make mistakes. The Book of Mormon admits there are problems in its message, yet Mormonism has the audacity (laughs) to accuse the Bible of imperfections, even though God himself has testified and promised he would protect his word, that it is pure and and perfect and would endure forever. And we have some of those quotes for you, too. And there are so many all the way through the scripture. It's hard to choose which ones to use. These are good ones. (laughs) Psalm 119, 140, thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Mm. Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. And then John 17, 17, and this is when Jesus was praying for us. Mm -hmm. He said, thy word is truth. And so there we have God's testimony about his own word. Mm -hmm. And then we also have just talked about the testimony in the Book of Mormon itself that is imperfect and written by man from memory. (laughs) So we can also need to remember that there have been over or almost 4,000 changes in the original text of the Book of Mormon. And they're not just grammar and punctuation corrections either. They are some of their actual doctrinal changes. So the question is valid. Is the Book of Mormon the spirit of prophecy and revelation or the feeble work of man? Now, polygamy groups embrace the Mormon articles of faith. The sixth article says this. We believe in the same organization that existed in the primitive church, namely apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and so forth. But has the Mormon church ever produced valid proof that the New Testament church ever had a presidency, ever had a 70s, ever had the quorum, various priesthoods and their activities? Actually, there's no historical data or biblical foundation that proves their organization is copied from the primitive New Testament church because it isn't. (laughs) Well, the interesting thing there is that God wasn't laying out an organizational chart. Right. Those things are listed as gifts that God gave the church for its growth and upbuilding. To to help encourage each other. That's right. (laughs) He wasn't putting out an org chart. That's That's right. That's a good point. That's absolutely the truth. And yet that's what they have done is organized it into a very huge, strict Mm -hmm. organization. And the polygamy groups have done the same thing. Now, the next contradictory uh, point made in the pamphlet of contradictions is about the power of God. The bottom line, is God all-powerful or not? Is God foolish? So there there are two thoughts here. One, many are the references in the Book of Mormon to the greatness and power of God. For example, the brother of Jared exclaims at one point, I know, O Lord, that thou hast all power and can do whatsoever thou wilt for the benefit of man. Ether 3, 4. And then second, in the same context, we find God tells the Jaredites to build football-shaped barges like they've built before, 2.16. He even tells them the length, the length of a tree. After they build them, just like God tells them, they find they can't see nor breathe in them and can't even steer them in 2.18 and 19. What happened to this God? Remember, these aren't even the first ones. They built them before. Raises a lot of questions, doesn't <laughs> it? It sure does. And, and, and he correctly <laughs> wonders how many people had died in the previous barges because of God's blunders. Uh, but it gets worse uh, that this great God has to begin asking the brother of Jared how to solve the problem. <laughs> then he tells them to put a hole 
in the top and in the bottom of this football-shaped structure and a stopper in each hole. And then when they need air, pull out one of the stoppers and if water comes in, stop it up again. Did they discover this by trial and error? <laughs> one hopes not. <laughs> if, they would do, if they found out, it would work. One conversation I had with a Mormon man, he was defending his Mormonism, um, and it's when we were doing the live show on, on TV20, but it was on a, a telephone conversation later. But he, he asked, well, why can't God do miracles in the Mormon, beginning of Mormonism, like he did in the Bible? Why do just the Bible get to have his miracles? And, and, and then he brought up Noah's Ark, uh, how he had them build them Noah's Ark to keep the people safe. Why couldn't those barges have also kept the Jaredites safe? Well, all wisdom resides with God and in him. And when he instructed Noah how to build the ark, he made perfect provision. Nothing had to be redone. No crisis arose from Noah following his instructions. And the ark itself was a perfect structure in every aspect to keep the people and the animals and their food supply perfectly safe during the deluge. That cannot be said about Jared's barges. Again, we come away from our examination of Mormon works seeing their great lacking. As the title page says, if there are faults, they are the mistakes of men. Okay. They are mistakes of men, though. I'll leave it at that. Let you figure out more as you hopefully look into some of these contradictions. Now, the next contradiction is, was the gospel preached beginning in Jerusalem or with Adam? Mormonism and actual history disagree. Joseph Smith has Adam proclaiming repentance and remission of sins in Moses 6, 42, or 52 to 62, and even Noah proclaiming it in Moses 8, 23 and 24. The Bible plainly affirms that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in Jesus' name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, Luke 24, 47. Such was fulfilled in Acts 2. Okay, so again, which is it? Now, 2 Peter 2.5 tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. But where do we read that he preached repentance and remissions of sin in the name of Jesus? How could Adam or Noah have preached it when they didn't even have the law yet? The law wasn't given until Moses, hundreds and hundreds of years later. And they didn't know about Jesus. Yeah, the name of no Jesus was a, a millennium, over a uh, millennium And later. a different language in a different country. Exactly, exactly. Now, time is the enemy of every false That's prophet. Right. <laughs> and this proves it. Now, the, uh, it will always prove that without, uh, whether their future predictions were valid or not, and time has proved Joseph Smith was a false prophet. Now, if the man says that he's speaking for God, and speaks or foretells anything that does not take place, even if it's in a very minor detail, God warns us he's not telling the truth. And he warns us in advance, God does. He watches out for us. All we have to do is pay attention. Now, one of the greatest and most powerful proofs for the inspiration and accuracy of the Bible is fulfilled prophecy to the tiniest detail. The Bible has multitudes of manuscripts to compare with archaeology um, to support the events and fulfilled prophecy to undergird its claims of divine origin. No mere man can accurately foretell the future. But the Bible has recorded fulfilled prophecies precisely as it was prophesied hundreds of years before the event. Certainly, Joseph Smith failed on that count alone. Here's an example. 
the temple in Independence. Doctrine and Covenants 84, 1-5, penned in September 1832, states that a temple was to be built in Independence, Missouri in that generation. Didn't happen. He, that right there right. disqualifies him. Now, God doesn't make mistakes, and he's the only one who really knows the future. If there was any place in the Bible with such a glaring mistake as this, the world's critics would be all over it. But let Mormonism make that kind of an error, and all we get is a spinning of facts, prevarication, and cover-ups to justify Joseph Smith's errors. Another one from Doctrine and Covenants 87, written in December 1832. The Great War. In Doctrine and Covenants 87, 1-8, we have the prophecy of a great war which was to shortly come to pass. The Mormons claim such was fulfilled in the Civil War, but the specifics listed in the prophecy make it clear that such was not fulfilled in the Civil War. Here are some of the particulars which were not fulfilled. It was to include all nations. Uh, Britain was specifically named as being involved. Slaves were to rise against their masters. And all the world was to suffer a great famine and plague. This is a huge failure. Uh, of the Civil War, certainly. Yeah. yeah this particular prophecy. Right. <laughs> now, before Jesus, Joseph Smith made the prophecy, the newspapers had already printed the information as early as 1832 that South Carolina had threatened to secede from the Union. And all this prophecy proves is that Joseph Smith read the newspapers. <laughs> but he embellished everything. And he predicted that all nations would be included in the war. Great Britain would be involved in plant, plant, things and plant and all that. And then none of that happened. The Civil War was here, localized. And God knows the future, and he makes no mistakes. But Joseph Smith sure did. Smith was great at plagiarism, proven by the prodigious amounts of the text that he stole out of the Bible and placed in the Book of Mormon. The next prophecy by Joseph Smith, from which time has proven to be his enemy, was about the Nauvoo House. Okay, Doctrine and Covenants 124, 22, and 23 tells us of a house to be built in Nauvoo, Illinois, which was to be for Joseph Smith and his seed forever and ever, according to verse 59. The house was destroyed shortly after Joseph Smith's death. What's forever, forever and ever? Forever and ever. Pretty short. <laughs> in Mormonism, it's proven to be a very short time, doesn't it? And it's, of course, uh, this prophecy proves that. It's also proven to be a very short period of time per the revelation on polygamy. Okay, polygamy or monogamy. The Doctrine and Covenants teaches that God demanded polygamy in section 132. Christ tells us that monogamy has been God's plan from the beginning, okay. Matthew 19. Big contradiction here. Mm -hmm. We've talked, we've talked and over-talked this, this and, yeah. <laughs> uh, through, the, through the years. Uh, and Doctrine and Covenants section 132 says, Pearl marriage was the new and everlasting covenant. Everlasting. But their word everlasting isn't. Doesn't. Doctrine and Covenants 49 teaches monogamy only. Doctrine and Covenants 132 teaches polygamy or is uh, or be damned. Uh, Jacob, Book of Mormon Jacob 2, says polygamy is an abomination. And then, of course, Jesus said in the Bible that uh, he and affirmed God's plan was monogamy from the very beginning. So what is it? It can't be both. You know, monogamy and polygamy can't both be true at the same time. God's decree do not change, and the first seven prophets of the LDS Church taught, live polygamy or be damned. Here's an example. 
you might as well deny Mormonism and turn away from it as to oppose the plurality of wives. Let the presidency of this church and the twelve apostles and all the authorities unite and say with one voice that they will oppose that doctrine, and the whole of them would be damned. Heber C. Kimball. There you go. There you have it. I mean, it can't get more clear than that. <laughs> now, Heber C. Kimball was an apostle. You know, he spoke with authority of the church behind him. And he himself, of course, had 45 wives. And then after all this, they preach polygamy is prohibited, which is it. Even Mormonism says God's decrees don't change. And polygamists take Mormonism uh, the same way the LDS do. It's a buffet table. Pick and choose what you want, and it's okay to reject the rest. It's just okay. But that doesn't reflect God's plan or his wisdom. And finally, we have another quote. From this brief examination of the inspired works of Mormonism, we find that by no stretch of the imagination can any one of them substantiate a claim of divine origin. <laughs> As Joseph Smith himself said, remember, remember that it is not the works of God that is frustrated, but the work of men. Doctrine and Covenants 3.3. The Bible has never been frustrated by the attacks of men because it lives up to the claim that it is God's inspired word. No other book, including all the supposed inspired works of Mormonism, can uphold such a claim. And it can't, and it can't through the time, through the time period. I mean, the Bible has survived how many attacks through the decades, the, the, the millennia of time. And we have the, the manuscripts, ancient manuscripts, to prove its accuracy and that it has been transmitted correctly during these times. Um, and you mentioned that you would like to get a hold of this pamphlet. Um, you, yeah. you can, the, the, and we've had the... The website's been on the screen. We had, well, you'd, I don't know if I put the website on oh. it, but you can search the title, Some Contradiction of yeah. Mormonism by Jack Williams, and you'll come up with a PDF that you can download and you'll just have it. You can have it printed out. Oh, it's, thank you. It's a small, it's a small pamphlet, uh, pamphlet. I'm sure there are but, others who would like to read the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and you certainly can. It's very good. I think it's very good. It's a different viewpoint than some of the other contradictions that I've studied too as well, but it's accurate and, and I enjoy his particular insight. Now we're going to finish this particular topic. We're going to refer back to the name Mormon, <laughs> which is supposed to mean more good. And then it changes to the point where the word becomes Satan's victory, which I question. I, the reason I wanted to bring this up is, is the Book of Mormon, we don't have one here, is this really more good or is it a victory of Satan? And with deceptions, plagiarism, false prophecies, contradictions, it has to be a victory for Satan. That's the bottom line. And somebody said at the beginning, do we want people to vote, yes or no? <laughs> what the Book of Mormon is. Go for it. You know? Well, we read that quote from Nelson that said, every time the word Mormon is used, it's a victory for Satan. I'm like, well, right. that's not just in the name of the Book of Mormon. It's Right. And they're not going to change the name no. of the Book of Mormon. At least that's what they said. They've changed how a lot. They? Of, yeah. Yeah, how could they? <laughs> and, and that goes to the, the prophet named Mormon in the Right. You know, is he a victory for Satan? Right. Every time, did his mother call him, oh, Mormon, and uh, declare victory for Satan exactly. every time she called his Ex name? It, it, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's, a, it's just a deep question, I think, one that needs to be looked at yeah. and considered by members of the LDS Church. So, we have 
a short history of the names of the Mormon church. Now they said, we read a quote where they said that God revealed to Joseph Smith what the name of the church was supposed right. to be in early 1830s. Right. Okay, This is the truth of what actually happened. Mormon leaders have taught that the name of their church is a sign of its divinity and proof that they are the authentic form of Christianity. The Book of Mormon states, And how be it my church, save it be called in my name? For if a church be called in Moses' name, then it be Moses' church. Or if it be called in the name of a man like Mormon, then it be the church of a man. But if it be called in my name, then it is my church. If it be so, that they are built upon my gospel. 3 Nephi 27 and 8. Historical names of the main branch of the Mormon church are as follows. Church of Christ, April 6, 1830. The Church of the Latter-day Saints, 3rd of May, 1834. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, 26th of April, 1838. At various times, the following names have also been used, mostly between 1834 and 38. So that's a lot of changing in it those is. four years. Absolutely the Church of Jesus Christ, the Church of God, the Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's fascinating to me that yeah. in the New Testament, the churches were simply identified by their locations. Mm -hmm. The church mm -hmm. in Ephesus, the mm -hmm. church and in Thessalonica. Th that's right. In fact, um, <laughs> the, the now the polygamists have, of course, they've made their own names up, you know, right. and they've removed themselves themselves from this controversy. Right. Um, but but it came up with the New Testament church is called the, is never called the Church of Jesus Christ. No, never. In the New Testament. It's not even really called the, the church in any organizational form. It's called the form. church of God. The gathered, the, the ecclesia, the gathered called ones. And right? if it's, it's not and even if, a capitalized word. Right. <laughs> and if, if the Mormon church was a, restore, a restoration of the ancient church, then... It would be it wouldn't be called. It would be called the Church at Salt Lake City right. or the Church That's at right. Independence of Missouri or whatever. Um, each, uh, each, like I said, the polygamists have adopted their own names and the name that separates them from the LDS Church and from each other. Mm -hmm. But just like the Mormon Church, each one, each one claims to be God's only true church. Again, I have to say to end this particular topic, they cannot all be right, but they can all be wrong. And we go the truth, what is right, by going to the Bible. So, thank you, Dorothy. Thanks, Doris. It's it always again. fun to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, so, so exactly, what's in a name? Does the precise wording of the name of a church determine its validity? Did you know that the New Testament church not once refers to the church as the Church of Jesus Christ, and especially not with the words Latter-day Saints? It's referred to as the Church of God and the Church of the Living God, even the Church of the Firstborn, but nothing about Latter-day Saints. A restoration, by definition, means back to its original. Not so with Mormonism. No religion has an exclusive secret to salvation. There is only one concern when it comes to our redemption and forgiveness and salvation, and it's not Mormonism, not polygamy, it's not Joseph Smith. It's clearly stated in Acts 4, verse 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is all we need. Thank you for watching. 
This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.